Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about Clary Frey, a teenage New Yorker who begins seeing a strange symbol, disturbing her mother Jocelyn Frey and her mother's friend Luke Garraway. Later at a nightclub with her friend Simon Lewis, Clary is the only person who sees Jace Wayland killing a man who he claims is a demon. Meanwhile, Jocelyn is abducted by two other men, Emile Pangborn and Samuel Blackwell, but she is able to call Clary and warn her about someone called Valentine Morgenstern. More characters with epic names are introduced, including Madame Dorothea, Sam Foster, Alec and Isabel Lightwood, Magnus Bain, Danny Moran, and Hodge Starkweather. Until everyone gets so bored of the similarities to the 2013 young adult classic, The Mortal Instruments, City of Bones, they radically streamline the whole concept until it's just two guys sitting around and talking about films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, a half-angel shadow hunter and all-round good egg, Danny Moran. Hello, hello. On this episode of Film Chat, I, Danny Moran, and he, Sam Foster, will review I, Daniel Blake, Ken Loach's Palm Door winning film about how out of control government bureaucracy fails the very people it's designed to protect. In short, best date movie ever. I also found the time to check out Queen of Catway, the Disney film based on the inspiring true story of a young Ugandan chess prodigy who managed to pursue her aptitude for the game while living in poverty. It's like I, Daniel Blake, but with no welfare state, but somehow better. Go figure. We also examine the news that YouTube is joining Amazon and Netflix in the TV production business, and we give an exhaustive nine-hour frame-by-frame analysis of the new Rogue One trailer, though apparently that might be cut down. All of this should leave me just enough time to perform my latest impression, Nick Nolte, doing that speech from Henry V in the style of Yoda. Enter the bridge more once, dear friends, more once. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, one of your better ones. Thanks, man. Uh, James Andrews, 
regular listener James Andrews has written in. Uh, we were talking about remind me we talked about tim burton oh yeah because he uh he made some tone deaf comments about diversity yeah exactly because there's no black people except for one evil person in his latest movie yeah and uh james points out he says uh that oogie boogie man from nightmare before christmas is definitely another black tim burton villain oogie boogie man is like the archetype of creepy a representation of the uncanny and undeniably a black character I think Film Chat should do a calling out right-wing microaggressions in Tim Burton films call out. Well, yeah. good point, James. And that's uh, that's absolutely true. I went and looked at a YouTube clip of Uyu Boogie Man afterwards. And he's a kind of voodoo monster. Yeah. Yeah. So it is somewhat, you know, arguably problematic. Yeah, I was trawling through Tim Burton's filmography for more examples of, you know, less than stellar black representation. And a lot of his films... Uh, I don't know how strong this argument is, but a lot of his films perhaps get away with it purely because they're period pieces or most of the characters are apes. Yeah. That's just for one film, really. <laughs> uh, but he does, he did cast Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent in the bat, in Batman. Sure. Uh, wasn't in Batman Returns, though. So, <laughs> possibly racist? Racist? Possibly racist. And he did cast uh, Deep Roy who played the Oompa Loompa in the Chinese Chocolate Factory. And he also voices a character in The Corpse Bride, and he's uh, Kenyan. Got it. But Pretty progressive of Tim On Burton. the subject of Oogie Boogie, I was thinking back to The Corpse Bride, which I haven't seen since watching in the cinema, so that was a good 10, 11 years ago. And I remember there was a sort of skeleton character who has a song, and I was thinking, like, is that some sort of like New Orleans jazz guy? And so I looked <laughs> it up, and the character is called Bojangles, a vivacious one-eyed singing skeleton modelled loosely on Sammy Davis Jr. due to him having only one eye. Brackets, Davis had a glass eye and an exaggerated underbite. And it is sung by Danny Elfman, a very white man. Right. So is it racist for a white guy to play a skeleton modelled on a black guy? Is that blackface? Is that blackface? <laughs> That's the real question. <laughs> You're pointing at me, which means yeah. that you really want a judgment from me on a that. A claymation, technically white skeleton... Well, how Based much on a black guy sung by a white guy? Doesn't it depend on how much he's doing a kind of black voice? You well, know? maybe we should listen to a bit and let the listeners decide. Sure. Hey, give me a listen. You corpses of cheer, at least those of you who still got an ear. I'll tell you a story and make a skeleton cry of our own jubiliously lovely corpse bride. <laughs> I think it's borderline. There's a little bit of this sort of raspy, you know, I don't know. Jazz man. Yeah, he's doing a little bit like that. I feel like we're probably not fully qualified to make a judgment on it, on this case. Yeah. I didn't even know Danny Elfman was a singing uh, skeleton performer. You know, I thought he was just a composer, but he has many other talents. Well, obviously. he was in Ongo Bongo. He What's was the that? Leads... <laughs> what? What's that? They're a sort of ridiculous 80s band, and he was the lead singer and multi-instrumentalist of the band. What's Ongo... it called? Ongo Bongo. I'm not sure about this guy, this Danny Elfman character. I think maybe him and Tim Burton are racists. <laughs> 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 now that I've learned... I was I was fifty percent on this uh, horse ride clip, and now that I know he was in a band called Ongo Bongo, <laughs> that's the clincher. Actually, <laughs> it's weird I didn't get those dots earlier. 
it took you the white innocence of a child. Yeah. Because I already knew the information, I just internalized it. Yeah, it's just like, well, that's just what his band is called. So, yeah, a pair of fucking racists, I would say. <laughs> and not working on this podcast ever. No, no, no. Sorry, Elfman. Elfman. Um, James, thanks so much for getting in touch. But I would like to address this comment to everyone who isn't James, but also James. Please write in with any comments, reviews, queries. Yeah. Of anything, not it's even always, film it's related. A delight no, film related. Yeah, film related is probably best. Really but good. no, it's really great to hear from people, and uh, we always want to hear your views and read them out. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you should um, you get in touch. Check our Facebook page. Danny is quite good at posting thought-provoking kind of comments on there. Well, you say that, but I mean, well, you point out that Robert Duvall played Stalin once. That should have been a great conversation starter. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like you just made that up, but that did happen. Yeah. Well, I thought that you just made it up, but the YouTube video was pretty good evidence. Um, and it was down to James to suggest Will Smith play Vlad the Impaler and Dustin Hoffman play Hitler, yeah. hopefully in the same film. Um, and that all sounds pretty good. Yeah. But other than that, it's a bit of a wasteland. So get on it, listeners. Please. Yes. Speak to us. We're lonely. Hold me. Hold me. Hold me Hold close. Me. Touch Hold me. me. Stroke my hair. Touch me. No, not there. Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's been to print So, if there's one thing that we don't have enough of now It is uh, television shows No We need a bit more prestige TV shows Absolutely Amazon, Netflix And all of the traditional TV uh, channels Are not pulling their weight anymore There's far too little choice out there And YouTube is stepping into the gap They've got a subscription service Called YouTube Red Ooh I guess it's named after the, One of the main colours of YouTube Given <laughs> <laughs> a YouTube white <laughs> Yeah And uh, they are There's three upcoming television shows for YouTube Red, each more exciting sounding than the last, with the um, talent hot trio of Dwayne Johnson, Doug Lyman, and Dan Harmon wow. all involved. So, Danny, tell me if you were watching one of these shows, which one it would be. So, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, his, his show is something called Lifeline. It's a high-concept sci-fi thriller. It's a wow. little bit like Looper, yeah. and it's about a clandestine insurance company where they send people into the future to prevent your death. <laughs> wow. So you take out a policy. Yeah, yeah. And then if you're going to die, they send someone in the future to make to make sure you don't. Okay. So I send the policy, and like a month later, I'm about to get hit by a car, and a guy will just come and pull me from, out of the way. Yeah, and he's been sent. <laughs> sent from the past. Sent from the past. Brilliant. I guess so. I assume. We don't know whether he's going to be in front of the screens on this one, or if he's just purely going to be... You know, making the tea or what his yeah. involvement will be. Probably making the tea. Probably making the tea. Makes a killer cuppa. Uh, Doug Lyman is going to be continuing the story of Jumper. You remember the film Jumper? <laughs> Barely. With um, <laughs> Hayden Christensen and uh, Jamie Bell. Is there a huge demand for a Jumper <laughs> TV show? <laughs> Knitting great jumpers. Yeah, you could teleport, right? They can teleport. They it's can all about jump. how they can teleport. And Samuel Jackson, is, he just hates the teleporters. Yeah, they're too powerful to live. Can't, they can't live. <laughs> These guys can teleport anywhere. It's outrageous. They, got, they must be stopped. And Samuel Jackson tries to stop them. That's all they know about it. Caught a bit of it on TV once. Seemed sort of like, you know, it seemed a film to be a film that was on. 
Um, and uh, the jumper is based on a novel, apparently. And this TV series is going to be based on the third novel in the series called Impulse. That's a and this cool one um, centers around a 16-year-old longing to break free from her quaint small town. And she discovers her teleporting ability when attacked by a local drug dealer. Yeah, so she wants to break free of a small town, but luckily she can teleport well, anywhere in the world. <laughs> she develops the ability to instantly teleport anywhere. <laughs> That's what <you> is. Yeah. <laughs> the perfect person to acquire this ability. And Dan Harmon, who is... Uh, the community guy, right? guy from Community, exactly. Yeah. He also co-created Rick and Morty. Oh, cool. For all those Rick and Morty fans out there. He's going to be producing a new sitcom set in the tantalizing world of eSports, um, which will star people called Dan Avedon and Aaron Hansen, who have already established themselves on YouTube with a channel called Game Grumps. And it'll follow the misadventures of a group of eSports players trying to reach the top in the competitive world of gaming. Wow. So you probably think eSports is a niche, dull um, pastime for dorks. But, uh, you know, in sitcom form... Well, that or community is great. Rick and Morty is great. Yeah, He's probably the most. Oh, the three I would watch that. Maybe it'll be like King of Kong. You know. Yeah. Uh, going back slightly with the, the sure. rock premise of yeah. the people who save your life. Yeah, lifeline. W- wouldn't that be very easy just to pretend you had? Like you've, the guys, your clients taking the policy. <laughs> a week later, like you show up, you're like, "Don't eat that," and like <laughs> knock a cereal out of his hands. Like, what was this? Like that was poison. It's like really. It's like, yep, uh, that your premium just went up. I'm sorry. Like yeah, their the, their entire service is just that thing where you sort of push someone into a road and then pull them back. Yeah, like, saved so, your life. Yeah, That's okay. true. Actually, totally unverifiable. Yeah, they all sound great. I'm don't watch enough TV, and I want well, to watch I, all I plan to shows. watch more. If only I could watch it on YouTube. That's what I often say to myself. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. And now I can. Sam, it's been a while, perhaps days, since we've discussed Star Wars, and that has to change right now. Because Star Wars Rogue One, this upcoming uh, prequel spin off, episode 3.5, which details the plans to steal. Uh, the Death the plan, Star plans. The plans to steal the Death Star plans, yeah. which lead into a new hope. Yeah. It's released its second and final trailer. They're going to make another movie about how they get the plans <laughs> for their plan to steal the Death Star plans. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. Uh, that's Rogue 0.5. Yeah. Um, what did you think of it? Uh, so Thoughts? the trailer had, uh, you know, people were anticipating it quite a bit, I think, because it has this uh, pr- troubled production narrative to it because they had to do all these reshoots. And they brought in a different director, right? Who was yeah, it? Who, they, Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy, the genius uh, behind the Bourne legacy. Uh, they brought him in to um, take over from Gareth Edwards and uh, put in some more fighting or something. Um, and make it, I think it was like, they wanted a bit more of a fun spirit, less of a gloomy war movie, which is supposedly what Gareth Edwards had, had done. Um, and uh, a lot of people, I think, were reassured by this trailer. It's yeah. very pretty. It's very beautifully photographed. It's very Gareth Edwards-y as well. Uh, people associate him with um, great special effects and also with great sense of scale. And yeah, absolutely. Like, Monsters, his sort of calling card movie, 
is uh shoestring budget incredible effects that he did himself and it's all that kind of sense of great scale is like kind of you know the the main thing that makes that movie stand out and then that was what people liked about godzilla as well yeah and so um yeah and this one has got some really stunning shots in it the death stars never looked bigger yeah and uh well the previous trailer was just sort of uh some like snatches of dialogue and just sort of tone like this is going to be epic but in this one you actually got a bit of the story so as far as the trailer suggests maz mickelson is some sort of architect captured by the stormtroopers yeah to build the death star and his daughter is felicity jones and she is recruited to help steal the plans is there like going to be yet another scene of like a dusty planet where some like evil people arrive and they start interrogating the you know the locals it's like well it was a green planet in the trailer there was grass so they've changed up the environment okay fair enough but i thought that was going to it was very a new hope in that it was sort of space nazis and it was like nazi occupied france it was like nazi occupied galaxy you haven't really seen that in star wars before mm. the stretch of the empire and also a bit like a western again like you know there's a nice guy who lives in the farmhouse near the town and the bad guys show up it was very yeah, sort of 50s absolutely, western. yeah do you think then it's a bit of retconning in that the sort of hilariously you know uh vulnerable point of the death star was deliberately put in by mads mickelson that's like his fail safe. That would actually be quite a smart. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Quite a smart bit of like, retconning. The nice guy builder, and he's like, it's invulnerable, and then like you know, there's a small chink in the armor he put in. That's clever, Danny. I think that might be right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, I think you might be onto something there. Mm. Um, you heard it here first. Only I made that connection. <laughs> that yeah. and everyone on YouTube. I don't know. I I I think it's hard to tell whether the film will be good, but it does look like the film will be beautiful, and I hope that it doesn't have too many. A New Hope-esque story beats because we just had so many of those yeah. uh, in The Force Awakens. So I hope that it like is confident enough to really be a different, a new thing. And I think in a way it's just be interesting to see a Star Wars film without lightsabers in it. Yeah. yeah. Presumably this one won't, won't have well, it. Well, Darth Vader is in it. Darth Does Vader he whip out his it? lightsaber? I don't know. I hope not. Yeah, but I don't know. It's uh, looked quite spectacular. The, that shot of the collapsed Jedi statue is pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, and it had, like, new environments. There's, like, a sort of fight on, like, a beach. I know this is, like, really sort of clutching at straws. <laughs> they're on a beach. Well, Five like, stars. Well, like, The Force Awakens was, like, they're on a desert. It could have been Tatooine. It was Jakku or whatever. Yeah, and then yeah, they yeah. go to a bar, and then they end up on a sort of Death Star-esque. Uh, there's a bridge with no railings for some reason. That's, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. And it was all, whereas, like, I just feel the fact that they've got, like, where hasn't Star Wars been in terms of geography? You know, it's... Why yeah. not have a... If you don't have a battle in snow again, that's just Hoth. Like, have a it planet on a, with rings. We haven't seen one of those. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So... Looking forward to it. Despite it having probably the most troubled production you could have... <laughs> maybe, be, maybe. Maybe good. Yeah. There's there's that line in the trailer, hope. Revolutions are built on hope or whatever, or rebellions are built on hope. Maybe we should hate the message of that trailer mm. and hope that the film is good. Yes. The film is pro-hope. Pro hope, and so should we be. Yeah. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. They're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's join share between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Stop talking now. So, I, Daniel Blake, it's another exciting one for us to review because uh, we saw it in advance. 
So this movie will have only just come out on the weekend when the podcast is out, which is always fun. Maximum time for our listeners to go and watch it. We saw a preview screening on like a Sunday afternoon. Not it's like not really prepared for such an intense film at this time, that time of day. It is directed by Ken Loach, uh, the latest in his sort of social realist um, films with political edge, kind of stretches the way back to the beginning of his career. And yeah. I think he's probably hoping for a situation like when he released Kathy Come Home, where you know the entire nation is up in arms and they sort of transform society based on like the power of his movie. It won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, I think slightly surprisingly. It wasn't in the pool of candidates that people thought were going to win the prize, and uh, then it came out and did it, which maybe means that it's going to be this like global smash hit that no one expected. Who knows? It's basically a polemic about the um, state of the benefit system, and it follows two characters, one of whom is Daniel Blake, played by a uh, guy called Dave Johns, and uh, a woman called Katie, played by an actress called Hayley Squires, and uh, their attempts to wrestle with a cruel Kafka-esque uh, benefit system He's a carpenter who um, his doctor says should not go back to work after he's suffered a heart attack and he still needs to do um, therapy and stuff. But he is deemed fit for work by an assessment um, by a sort of government drone. Um, And then he has to try to get um, job seekers allowance, even though he can't get a job. Um, And Katie, meanwhile, is a Londoner who's arrived in Newcastle with her two children. And um, you first encounter her as she is being sanctioned by the benefits office for being late to her meeting. And here is a clip of that happening. All right. I've tried to explain to the woman. I've never been to Newcastle before. We've just moved up here from London. I've been here a few days. I don't know where I'm going, Okay. I was on the bus. It's gone the wrong way. We've run, got off the bus, run, so there wasn't any more late. She just doesn't want to know. She doesn't want to know. And now she's telling me she's going to refer me for a sanction. What I want you to do is listen to me, Okay. The lady's told you what's right. There's rules here, rules that we have to stick to, okay? It isn't against you, but you oh, have mate, a duty. Listen, I'm not saying it's against you me. You have All a I'm duty is, to be here on time. And I'm explaining to you why I wasn't here on time. Do you know what? I got lost. I understand, right? But what I gather now is the decision maker. The decision maker's going to be sending you a letter through the post. You're going to have to wait for that, and then you're going yeah, to... Nobody... Got, my kids have got to start school tomorrow. I've right. got about 12 quid in my purse. Do you know what? All I... because... You can't just calm down and listen to people when they talk. Right. You all Again, have to do this. Do you know what? I've listened your to rules. you. You've created a scene. I think oh, you I've need... created a scene. No, I, mate. I'm I think creating... you need if to If I was going to create a scene, you'd know about you it. You need to leave me. the building. I'm sorry, you're okay, you need yeah. to... So you... I'm a bit of a... I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, not a stranger to you uh, getting a bit teary in movies. I'm often you know, a sucker for, like, emotional moments and stuff. Yeah. But um, even by my own standards... <laughs> even by your own blubbery standards. Even by my own blubbery standards, this was like... Um, yeah, I found it very, very affecting. I, I was pretty much in tears for a solid hour of the film. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, it took me by surprise, to be honest. What I thought it was... What I, you know, I wasn't completely sure what to expect, but I was kind of expecting that it would be something that I would, like, really agree with it, I know, in principle as this bleeding heart, you know, lefty character that I am. Um, and uh, I'd be like, this is an important, good film. Uh, but I didn't realize it was going to have such a kind of gut punch um, yeah. effect on you. And it really, it's like, it really takes you by the scruff of the throat. Um, it's a very simply told film. It's got this sort of neorealist style. It's quite sparse. But um, the message of it is conveyed in a way that is equal parts um righteous anger and indignation and humanity and compassion and that is the sort of cocktail that at least for me generated like you know great emotional reaction basically 
um and the i think that why it's so effective politically is that it is um not making uh like the characters are not angry about the system based on sort of abstract principles but it's all just grounded in everyday experiences and it's factually true the things that happen yeah are things that happen to people so um the way that they are indignant at the failures of the system is um you know just relatable in a very immediate and effective way yeah it just um it's just against everyone's general sense of justice exactly it really offends your sense of fairness yeah exactly going back to your point about how uh simply it's told i watched uh the interview kenos did at the can the press conference he when he was asked about his approach to the material he said that the story was so strong that he wanted to be as simple and and uncluttered and un, as unfussy as possible with a um, way of shot and he cited a poem by brecht because that's the kind of well-read chap he is called and i always thought which i will read now because there's only four lines and it says and i always thought the very simplest words must be enough when i say what things are like everyone's hearts must be torn to shreds that you'll go down if you don't stand up for yourself surely you see that and if that was a mission statement for the film then mission accomplished absolutely yeah um because yeah it's it it's sort of deceptively um brilliant in simplicity because because it's so emotive the subject matter it would be so easy to make it overwrought yeah or sensationalize things or i don't know play up the sort of the horrors, tra- of, the horrors it. of it but yeah. it doesn't need to and it knows that and maybe because he's been making these films for 50 years it's got this confidence to it which is just like you're in good hands and he just, yeah definitely you know you feel that all the way through um yes going in i thought i feel like my Every Ken Loach movie I've seen has been really good, but I still feel my approach to him is slightly like I'm eating my vegetables, like this is going to be good for me. But it is uh, a really entertaining film, I think. Maybe entertaining is the wrong word. Well, it's a strong story. You always want to see what happens next. You're gripped by it, and the movie puts in as much humor as it can to alleviate the sort of inevitable trajectory of the system, which is going to grind these people down. And there's a lot of gallows humor in it, especially at the beginning. But then it's like, you know... Uh, this joke isn't funny anymore as it goes on. And that's sort of the journey of um, Daniel Blake because he's quite at the beginning of the movie sort of laughing at the farce of it and then, you know, as it slowly takes hold of his life. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, he's a, the actor who plays him is a stand-up comedian, all right. which is quite a good you know, choice. Um, I think the the thing that is so clever about the approach of the movie is that um, almost every... Because it's full of these setbacks and, like... Um, you know them encounter like horrible stuff happening to them but it's almost every time that that happens it's accompanied by moments of um sort of neighborly uh human compassion or someone being kind to like offset the thing that the system did yeah exactly and in its most like severe moments that's when people show their like um like their most kind side yeah when you see the best part of people and um yeah, it's very excoriating about the way that society is set up, but it's extremely positive about um, community and the power of people to support each other. Um, and I think that that makes the film not feel like just totally despairing. It's not like a super, uh, well, I guess it is quite a negative movie, but it doesn't feel like a hopeless film because the people in it are almost all really nice. And I really like the way that the people who work within the system aren't done as villains 
And you don't, I think the film is very clear eyed about the fact that this is a systemic problem and not an issue of there being evil people who work for the government. Yeah, Especially at, at the sort of like lowest level. And they're all just like, the worst of them are just people who are just sort of doing their jobs and they're like, well, it says on my paper that this is what I have to say, so that's it. You know, and they just they just follow the rules and they're just like yeah. a bit, you know, grumpy or whatever. But like none of them are like, there are no real villainous people in the movie. Yeah, and well, it kind of makes the point that for it to work properly, it would involve everybody in the department uh, ignoring uh, their job descriptions. I feel like any criticism against this film could be settled by just Googling. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. took an issue of any detail, I'm sure there are countless examples, and it feels like a very well-researched film, and like there's lots of little details in it that feel that like, ring very true. Yeah. Speaking as a man who's never gone cold or hungry in his life. <laughs> but um, No, I think that's true. I think it does a good job of... Um, so obviously, they have a laundry list of things that they had to show up that are flaws in the system, and it does a really good job of... Um, showing you lots of different aspects to it in a way that's like directly educational that it's not just making you angry but that you feel like you're learning important individual facts and uh like including that there's like a bit of housing crisis stuff because she's had to move to newcastle because um she was evicted from a flat in london and the council doesn't have any houses left in london so they've had to move her whole family uh, to a completely different city yeah. which is something that happens i read some annoying uh, bad reviews of this movie one of the criticisms that um has been leveled at it is that the central characters are too saintly or that they're just too they're just like lovely people they don't have like flaws and i think that it's a um that's both a very narrow definition of what constitutes good characterization uh because it's not a good character isn't just a kind of perfect balance of good and bad points you know you just have yeah. to believe in them as real people and i think you do um but also i think that it uh, shows a, a kind of... I think there's some implicit working-class prejudice in that, in that you just are so used to seeing working-class characters portrayed on screen as um, vulgar or violent or, like, drunk. Um, yeah. Insert here obligatory Kingsman reference. <laughs> uh, whereas you don't really... It doesn't bother you if Tom Hanks plays a guy who's just nice all the time. Yeah. You're just like, well, that's Tom Hanks. He's a nice guy, you know? Like yeah. if for middle class people they can be nice the whole movie you would never wonder about it it's like you don't watch Love Actually and be like why aren't they like drunk or violent but if um, uh, Katie is like a working class mother she's just like a very loyal kind person and you're like but I don't get it why is you know well it would also be like even if they were the worst people in the world like they should still get benefits like if yeah. a man can't work he's entitled to sure to yeah yeah, yeah yeah and if you made him like a dick like what's the movie's point like exactly you know yeah. <laughs> it just makes it harder to watch because you like you should be rooting for his well, downfall it, that would confuse the whole argument yeah. of the movie it would make the it... system's a complete farce but luckily this dick doesn't get any money you know <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the upside like what yeah, yeah yeah i've um because the um story and the details are so familiar to news stories we've heard over the past um few years there is um a certain inevitability to some of the stuff that happens but i think like the most affecting moments are bits where you think something horrible is going to happen like you're saying and then someone does something nice and you're like slightly taken aback by it but afterwards like you shouldn't be taken aback because that's what anybody would do in that situation and i think it's very cleverly makes the point that uh the system makes you expect less from people you know what i mean like by destroying it's not just uh you know facts and figures it's an actual um feeling it's sort of it's like dehumanizing yeah, yeah it, it, it corrodes society in a sort of spiritual way almost yeah yeah and i want to make that point already good yeah i cried a lot but yeah. 
it was good tears. It was tears of righteous indignation, and I think everyone should watch this movie. Yeah. I tell agree. your mums, tell your dads, sisters, there. brothers, friends. Evangelize it, yeah. my children. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask-punchingly poor? How did Danny form the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Ah. Okay, Danny. Ooh. Let's, well, uh, too much real life. Yeah, let's have it. More a, real life. More real life, please. <laughs> but inspiring real life. So, yeah. Queen of Catway is directed by Mira Nair, who is the director of Salam Bombay and Monsoon Wedding, Vanity Fair, and most recently The Reluctant Fundamentalist. She is Indian originally, but she lives in Kampala, which is the city of which Catway is the slum of. And it is written by uh, William Wheeler, based on a true story about Fiona Mutasi. Or Matisse. I might be pronouncing a lot of Ugandan names here. I'm sure. sorry for our Ugandan listeners. Forgive me. So the film is set in Catway, which uh, is this big slum. And uh, there's about a young girl called Fiona, played by newcomer Medina Nawanga. She lives with her mother, Naku, played by Lupita Nyong'o, and her brothers and sisters. And before the start of the film, her father has died, and his death has put a huge strain on the family. And basically, they just about survive for their... Well, everyone there is in poverty, but they're close to gone, almost. And meanwhile, a missionary worker called Robert, played by David Oyelowo, starts a chess club for the slum kids, and Fiona and her brother joins, and she discovers that she has a natural aptitude for the game, and the film chronicles her over a five-year period as her game develops and takes in all the setbacks she and her family faces. Here is a clip of Fiona playing chess with Robert and him delivering some life advice through the medium of chess. No, no, no. Fiona, never tip your king so quick, eh? Why not? When you're going to be beaten anyway. Look. Focus on what you have. Coach, I think you don't come from here. When I was a child, my mother left me. In that moment, I wanted to die. But it is a good thing I did not take my life, eh? Otherwise, I would not have seen my daughter. I would not have met the pioneers. Are you? Me? Do not be quick to tip you a king, Fiona. Yeah, a lot of uh, chess. Uh, chess is a very flexible metaphor for life. Um, so this is a film which I think I liked more on paper than I actually liked in practice. And I think it's cool that Disney, who funded this film, were making a film for a family audience with a completely black cast, sent Africa with no Western white audience surrogate character, and uh, I like the idea it examined poverty because I guess any film with Western money about Africa must be about war or poverty. But this yeah. is examining poverty through the lens of a sports movie. And because poverty is something which people are born into or usually find themselves in factors beyond their control, it was cool to counterbalance that with sport, which is a meritocracy. And the film and Fiona's real life stories about how her being good at chess allowed her to lift her family out of poverty. So I was like, this is all good building blocks of a film. Uh, but I found it a little bit um, dramatically inert and I found that like I could see what the movie was doing and I wasn't quite with it and then I read all these glowing reviews and I was like am I the contrarian heartless twat Um, but maybe I am but this is the reason why I am so it's a much tougher movie than I thought it would be and my worst nightmares I thought this was going to be some sort of chess cool runnings with sort of hilarious provincial characters and sort of a real like westerners view of africa um but to its credit it doesn't it's very um authentic feeling and i think that's because mira nair 
uh, lives in Kampala. And she is something, even though she, um, the project starts with her, she found this news article and like created this film. But uh, even if, if they'd just been assigned to her, she's a very good choice because in an ideal world, you want a female Ugandan director and she's the closest thing that exists to that. In the industry. In the industry. Yeah. And she's also worked with um, Slum Kids before in Salam Bombay, which is maybe India and Africa are the same, but she's worked with like um, real people. Slum people. And yeah. her films are often about communities. And she does a really good job of presenting the realities of poverty and living in a slum in a way that is palatable for a PG movie and doesn't sugarcoat it. You could argue that anything that doesn't show the reality is sugarcoating it, but I think within the limitations of the film's commercial ambition, it does it very well. And as commendable as that is, it is a sort of weird mixture of slightly broader sports cliche uh, tropes and such like, and uh, real-life realities of that um, environment. And the result is that it's not so much a messy, but a very busy film, where it feels like it's trapped between two approaches and there's a lot going on and they want to give everyone stuff to do, but I think it lacks a bit of focus. And I think one of the problems is that the template of a sports movie doesn't really work with chess because even though it's great for metaphors about life, it is uh, visually very boring. Yeah. And someone who is terrible at chess, someone who's great at chess, looks exactly the same on camera. And uh, the scenes rely heavily on music and very deliberate reaction shots to tell you who's winning and losing. And it's impossible to actually invest in the mechanics of the game. So because it's a true story, you know she's going to succeed. But I think the film is too aware of that. And it feels a little bit like you're just ticking the boxes and going through events, uh, whereas there's no real stakes. And because it's over five years, I think that just exacerbates that problem because any thing they encounter you feel give it six months and that probably time sort of heals all wounds sort yeah, of approach yeah, to yeah. It. and because the plot is so busy it doesn't leave much space for the audience and it's just like it's just covering ground but this problem is somewhat mitigated by really good casting and uh the film is a real testament to star power you get some stars in your movie and it will just make anything good and uh david oyelowo is super charismatic guy and He's as, a great choice for the sort of sports coach yeah. kind of character, I think. And as Selma proved, when David Oyelowo delivers an inspiring speech, you will be inspired. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and even if the dialogue's a little corny, it's like... Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You've inspired me, Oyelowo. And I feel like the full force of his English Shakespearean theatre training has been brought to bear on this role. And he's really good in it, even though his role is basically super nice guy who believes in people. And uh, Lupita Nyong'o, one of her rare human roles... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Her first human role since 12 Years a Slave, apparently, <laughs> is really uh, brilliant in it. And her character is similar to David Yellowo's in that because of the nature of the story and the position in their lives, their role are somewhat one or perhaps two note. And she is this single mother with four children, no husband, perpetually struggling to survive, really concerned for her children, as anybody would be. Mm. And uh, her character, with the exception of one scene which feels written purely to give Lupita Nyong'o some stuff to do is um, a bit limited. But she just finds nuances in that. And even though the movie's asking her to do the same stuff again and again, she just finds different ways to do it. She's like a yeah. proper movie star. Good luck in your game today. Boy, you're really coming on here at the chess. <laughs> so I was like, Lupita, is that you? <laughs> when I wished that, you struck me as like a little too young for the role. and Because I, I thought she was like 25, but she's 33. So she is like this, a similar age to the person she's playing because people start families earlier in that part of the world. 
But I was a bit worried that Hollywood is typecasting her as this sort of old, wise, noble black mm. person. You know, like she's only playing people like noble people. I don't know. Maybe she just has that quality about it. She well, that seems that, quite that, regal. Well, that's a black cliche in of itself. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, she's great in it. Yeah. My concerns, I just hope she does a few different roles. I get over some different roles because she's really excellent. And uh, the lead, Medina Nalwanga, was fine. A lot of reviews have raved about her, but I think she's a little underserved by the script. And even though she's the title character, it's a bit like everything is just moving around her. She's the center of the film, not the focus. Yeah. Makes sense. And basically, what I would say at the beginning of the film, the title comes up, Queen of Catway, and then based on the true story, and the film leans more towards the of Catway bit than the Queen bit, and more to the true story than the based on bit. And it could have maybe done with... I mean, this is like the opposite problem of most of these movies, where it's like it, I could have done with a bit more massaging the truth into uh, a more focused yeah. story. But, you know, maybe I don't know a good thing when I'm getting it. But even though it was a little uneven, the very subject matter makes it not generic. Because, like, hey, this is the first movie I've seen about Kampala ever. And yeah. Chess. And uh, so it's a very... I like it. movie's intentions. It's full of good intentions. There's some charming child performances basically i thought it was fine i thought it was pretty good but it didn't really grab me by the uh, it wasn't the emotional ringer i thought it was gonna be yeah it sounds pretty good to but i want to do well so if you've got kids steph if you're still listening take your child don't go see trolls 3d take her to see queen of catway steph still there my favorite film stars bridget bardo she's the queen and she wants to be in radio so she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end okay kids that's the end of this episode of film chat thank you very much for listening i hope that like uh, danny and i you're in floods of tears thinking about these emotional movies that we went to see yeah powerful true stories and uh next week we'll be reviewing doctor strange absolutely and uh, maybe a bunch of other stuff because there's some things that Danny has seen. I've seen the... all the films. He's seen all the films now. So every week there's going to be another bevy of movies you have never heard of and will never see. And Danny's going to spend hours reviewing them. It's <laughs> <laughs> all the London Film Festival. Yeah. So you look forward to that. Speaking of which, uh, London Film Festival has come to a close. That's why I'm more available this week. That's why I've been returning your calls. Yeah. And the closing night film was Ben Wheatley's Free Fire, a Boston 70s set gunfight movie and one of the stars was sam riley and i was there on the red carpet and i caught up with him to ask some questions about his role yeah i mean he's been known for maybe being a bit typecast as quite a raven kind of character yeah i mean there is something (laughs) definitely a bit ravening about him and seeing him in the flesh i was like because i wasn't wearing my glasses from a distance i was like was that a raven but and as he came closer (laughs) i realized it was sam riley yeah and Uh, we thought maybe because this was a movie set in boston in the 70s and it was all about like a you know a guns deal yeah maybe this time he wouldn't play a raven yeah but anyway well we'll see what he said so um so enjoy that interview <laughs> and see you next week see you next week sam 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 over here sam quick question dame Rand film chat just wanted to ask how do you prepare for your role well first of all we got a raven into a room and i just sort of studied but they're incredible creatures they're huge they're much bigger than a crow and they have very strong personalities. They're quite vain, which I tried to incorporate. And then the, the, then the raven left, and then I sort of tried to sort of move in a way like a raven. By the end of the session, I was actually... Ra- Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Running round a room, flapping my arm. 